I have in my study a book that's entitled The Hard Sayings of Jesus. Uh, it's a pretty big book. There's a lot of hard sayings. You have to be impressed with the way Jesus is willing to just say the truth. I don't think he was mean-spirited about it. He, he gives a clue why in John 8, 29, when he says, He who sent me is with me. He's not left me. Uh, for I always do the things that please him. He pleased God. That's what Jesus always tried to do. He tried to please the Father. He didn't try to please the culture. So when we open our Bibles up to Matthew chapter 5 and we see here the, his first sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, which he gave to his disciples, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're in, we're in Matthew 5, verse 31 and 2, by the way. Jesus is creating a society, a body of believers that's different from the world. Our motives are different. He's, and we've argued that Jesus is not trying to replace Moses in these sayings. There's six of them here, where he's, and you can, you can tell which, what topic he's in because he always starts out, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And we've said that Jesus is not trying to replace Moses. He's, he's fulfilling the law. I didn't come to abolish it. He says in Matthew 5, 17, but fulfill it. That is, fill it to its fullest intent. What's the intent of the law? And so this is where we are when we come to verse 31 and 32. Let's read this, Matthew 5, 31 and 32. Verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality. Uh, the Greek word there is pornea, sometimes translated fornication. Uh, he who divorces his wife except on those grounds, pornea makes her commit adultery. And the Greek word there is moikia. It's different. And I'll say a word about that in a minute. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery or moikia. So we'll look, first of all, at uh, what does he mean here? This, it was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Verse 31. This was divorce under Moses. So what is Moses saying? And he's quoting from Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4, when a man takes a wife, Moses said, and marries her, and then she finds no favor in his eyes because he found some indecency in her. 
and he writes her a certificate of divorce and she departs from his house. He, she goes out, becomes another man's wife. The former husband may not take her again to be his wife. The idea there from Moses is he's regulating the dismissal of the wife in the Old Testament. Because by the time Deuteronomy is written, Jews were, they could just kick the woman out. And Moses is regulating that and saying, all right, you're going to have to give her a divorce certificate, a legal status so that she can legally then remarry and have the financial security that comes with a legal marriage. I think that's the idea behind that. And the Jews took that verse, though, and said, hey, Moses said you can get a divorce. And they, the majority at least, of the Pharisees and leaders in the first century in Jesus' day, they held that you could divorce your wife for any reason. Now, that was the majority. And uh, you see this in Matthew 19 when some of the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And they were thinking of Deuteronomy 24 because that was the common, accepted interpretation. Moses said you could do it. Just make sure you give her a certificate. So they wanted to test Jesus. What's his view on marriage and divorce? And so they come to him in Matthew 19 and 3 and said, can you divorce your wife for any reason? Matthew 19, verse 4 to 6, he answers them. And it's similar to what he says here in Matthew 5. He says, have you not read... Once you read the Bible, he says to the Pharisees, and that had to cut a little bit there. Have you not read that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female, that is Adam and Eve? And he said, a man shall leave father and mother, hold fast to his wife, they will become one flesh. Now that we read that in Genesis a few minutes ago. Therefore, Jesus said, Matthew 19, 6, there are no longer two but one flesh. So what God has joined together, let not man put asunder or separate. In Matthew 19, verse 4 to 6, can you back up one? There is so much in this reference to the Old Testament. Jesus, with one Old Testament reference, takes a sword to so many errors and things that are accepted in every society. Uh, let me uh, uh, point out, have you not read he made them from the beginning? Okay, stop right there. If you believe what Jesus said, you can't believe in evolution. 
He created them from the beginning. That's what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, uh, don't you remember how we evolved? He created. So Jesus believed in the creation story of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And then he said, he made them male and female. Stop right there. He didn't make them male and male. In other words, Jesus, with a sweeping sword thrust, takes away all biblical grounds for homosexuality and homosexual marriages. In the beginning, it was not so. That's his standard. See, remember what Jesus is doing with the law. He's he's not come to do away with it. He's come to fill it to the full, to get to the heart of it. Because when you get to the heart of the law, you're getting to the heart of God. And he's saying, I've come to please the Father. I didn't come to please the culture. I didn't come to conform to the crowd. He's done away in a single phrase, male and female, homosexuality, bisexuality, lesbianism, and all LGBTQ movements that do not conform to the male-female original design by God. And I would add, bestiality is out. Uh, God waited until all the animals were created and he, he marched them all past Adam and there was found no help meet for him. Your dog can never replace your spouse. We're, we're in a society today where people glorify their animals to the point where their husbands and wives are neglected sometimes. Polygamy is out. It's male, singular, female, singular. Bigamy is out. Uh, and, you know, I'll throw this one on the pile while I'm at it. I'm always coming across this idea that Moses didn't write the first five books of the Bible called the Torah, that it was written later, even after the exile, around 400 B.C., rather than 1500 B.C. by Moses. And they say that the first five books called the Torah, you had four authors around 400 B.C., those who used the word Jehovah for God, then those who used the word Elohim, and those who, who, wrote, from, who wrote Deuteronomy, and those who wrote from, as a priest, all the priestly sections. They're called the J-E-D-P documents. Now, if, you go, if you're in college, in university, you take a Bible class or you have some reference, they're, they're going to refer, you're going to be exposed to this, the J-E-D-P documents. It's based on the premise Moses didn't write the Old Testament, that the, the Torah. Even the Jews believe that. What Jesus said was, 
And then, and this is Matthew 19. Uh, notice carefully as he's talking here about what Moses said about marriage. He says, um, they said, Matthew 19, 7, why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to do it. Moses did it. In other words, Moses is the one who wrote it. <laughs> I mean, there's so many things in this one reference that we could get off of our topic if we wasn't careful, which I may not have been careful enough. But what he is saying here is that when he goes back, he goes back to the beginning. He goes back to Genesis. He goes back to the creation. He goes back to male and female and God's ordained design. And the question about divorce is implicit in the creation because in the creation, God made one man, one woman, brought them together in a marriage ceremony. In fact, if you'll notice the passage, God brought his daughter, Eve, to the man. He walked her down the aisle, you might say, and gave her to the man. It's the first marriage ceremony. And then it says, Therefore shall a man leave father and mother, cleave to his wife, they shall be one flesh. It was a marriage ceremony. So they... They are asking about this, and Jesus said, you got to go back to the beginning. What was God's intent? What was God's heart? Don't just, don't just take the cultural acceptance. Don't just take the popular idea. Don't even take the interpretations of generations, but go try to get to the heart of the Word of God and the law of God, and that's what that I believe Jesus is leading us back to here. Now, do we fail? Yes. We're a broken humanity. We're a sinful humanity. Our failures are multiple and diverse. But the original intent of God remains. That's where he calls us. And Jesus calls us to be restored to that intention, to be restored to that calling and that design and that creation. He restores us. He calls us back to that. Now, let's talk about, we talked about what Moses gave us, divorce under Moses. What about divorce under Jesus? He gives a grounds here in Matthew 5, verse 32. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of pornea. What is pornea? And <clears throat> this was years ago, but uh, as a pastor, you get these questions about marriage and remarriage and who, should we re who can we remarry feel conscientious about it. And I, I've come across this several times and I thought, I'm going to look up the word pornea. And because that is, if you've been divorced, 
on the basis of pornea, as I understand this. I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of pornea, causes adultery in the next marriage. Well, what's pornea? If that's the exception, if that's the umbrella under which you can dissolve the marriage, a legitimate marriage, what is pornea? It's often translated fornication. And I just went through and looked at the references to pornea. It's used, for example, in 1 Corinthians 5.1 when a man had married his mother. So incest. It's called pornea in 1 Corinthians 5.1. It's used of going to prostitutes as a habit. 1 Corinthians 6.13 uses the word pornea or fornication is the way it's often translated. In Jude 7, remember these are grounds for divorce. You can't get a divorce, Jesus said, except on the ground of pornea. Not moikia, adultery. We know what adultery is. That's, that's two married partners in a sexual liaison. But what is pornea? Pornea is bigger. It's broader. It's more inclusive. Incest, 1 Corinthians 5.1. Prostitution, 1 Corinthians 6, 13. Habitual prostitution, I might add. And homosexuality in Jude 7. If your husband or wife is a homosexual, that's pornea. It's used like that in Jude 7. Sodom and Gomorrah gave themselves to pornea. See, so that's grounds for legitimate dissolving of the marriage. Revelation 2.20, pornea is used of idolatrous worship and, and seducing people into it, into heresies and idolatry. And, uh, and in Revelation 2.20, he, he uses the word pornea to describe that. So pornea is a broader term and takes in more providing more grounds by which you can legitimately dissolve your marriage. And I'm not trying to come up with things because this is in it, most all of these are sexual in, in nature, but it's not exactly adultery. You can forgive each other, you can forgive one another and embrace them and receive them back and build up that love and trust once again. But if it's pornea, it means you are dissolute. You have just given yourself over to homosexuality, incest, prostitution. That's a lifestyle of idolatry and harlotry in which your marriage is essentially null and void. You have canceled the covenant by abandoning it. But we, we have to be careful. This, this shows us something about being careful when Christians file for divorce because much of what is 
going on is private and we don't know what's going on. We don't have enough information. So we have to be careful about being critical. That's why Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if someone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a, in a gentle spirit, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And I like the way the, the paraphrase, the message, puts it, Galatians 6.1. If someone falls into sin, gently restore him. Save your critical comments for yourself. <laughs> you might be needing forgiveness yourself before the day is done. <laughs> Amen. Those of us who've been married and given grace, we don't know what it's like to be with in another person's shoes. So let, let's hold back the fire and let God restore people because we don't know stuff. Now, I'll add this one. I'm going to add this. I'm talking about grounds for divorce. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. He has been in 1 Corinthians 7 answering questions the Corinthians wrote to him about unmarried Christians, whether they should get married, unmarried widows, about uh, celibacy, and in 1 Corinthians 7, beginning in verse 12, he answers questions about a Christian who's married to a non-Christian. And here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 7, 12. To the rest, that is the Christian and the unchristian married together. To them I say, not the Lord. Do you notice that? I the apostle, not the Lord himself. What he means there is, he doesn't have a quote from Jesus. Earlier he has said, the Lord says, not I. And then he quotes Jesus. But here in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, I, not the Lord, say, say this. So he's telling you this as an apostle who has the Holy Spirit. Because he ends this chapter by saying, now that I've said all this, I think I can say I have the Spirit that's leading me to say it. So, so he, what he means is I don't have a personal quote from the Gospel of Matthew, Mark or Luke, but I do have the Holy Spirit guiding me as an apostle. So here's what I'm going to tell you. So this is new. Paul's adding something Jesus didn't give. He's completing the grounds on which a marriage may be dissolved. And he adds one more. Here it is. To the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If a, a woman has a husband who's an unbeliever, the woman, in other words, she became a Christian, the husband didn't. But if he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So you, you have a Christian and a non-Christian and they're married. One of them has become a Christian during this time, but the, the other one did not. But does the one who's not a Christian still want to be married? 
do they still consent to the marriage? Because sometimes it's hard to live with a Christian. (laughs) They got their own kind of struggles. So he says, do they consent to live with you? And uh, here's what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15. If the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not in bondage. God has called us to peace. God does not want uh, arguing, fussing, fighting, pan-throwing, fist-flinging, a relationship in a marriage, especially one of them's a believer, one of them's not a believer. God says, if they leave you and they say, if you're going to be this church lady, you're going to go to church every Sunday, you're going to be this fanatic, I'm out of here. Paul's advice is, let them go. God's called us to peace. You're not in bonds in such cases. But if they do want to live and they can figure it out, he says, Paul says, then stay married. So you have pornea, all the sexual devastation, incest, prostitution, homosexuality, idolatry, And here in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul adds another desertion of a Christian. And I I just want to add this. The Christian wife or the Christian husband should not be more dedicated to their spouse than they are to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, if they don't want to live with you, if they don't want to be a Christian, and they don't want to be around Christians, and and they say, I'm leaving, they threaten you, I'm leaving, let them go. What Paul is saying there is, you put your divine husband above your earthly husband. You make Jesus number one. You make the new covenant over the marriage covenant. I, I, and I hear people, I've, uh, women will say, well, I don't want to come to church if my husband don't come with me. If he don't go, I, I'm not going to go. Why would you say that? Jesus is Lord. And same way with the wife. Uh, I, we've had occasions when the wife would say, I don't want to go to church and I don't want you to go to church. I want us to have a family uh, Sunday as a family day. It's family day, all right. It's God's family. <laughs> Maybe we should have took the offering up at the beginning of the service today. <clears throat> all right, one final thing. The consequences of an unbiblical divorce, verse 32 in Matthew 5, verse 32, and B. Except on the ground, unless you are divorced, except on these grounds, pornea, 
And as Paul adds, desertion, you're creating a situation, a circumstance where the divorced person, especially the woman, commits adultery and whoever marries her commits adultery. All right, what, what, I have a couple of things to say here. In first century, there was no safety net or social services for women. Women were often ignored. They, weren't, they were not allowed to even testify in court. They were, they were often uh, presented as property, sometimes property that you could dispense with. And so, he, so they would, marriage was the only acceptable way to find any kind of relief, financial and social relief. Now, I want you to notice what, how he puts this here. If you divorce her except on the grounds of pornea, in other words, she's been sexually crazy. If, if, uh, other, other than those grounds, he says, you make her commit adultery. If you divorce her without proper grounds, notice that the guilt, the onus, the burden is on you. You made her commit adultery. It's your fault. I'm going to trace that. Jesus said, I'm not going to forget that because she's trying to survive. She can't apply for food stamps in this society. So if you dissolve that marriage without legitimate grounds, you've made her, you've run her into the arms of another man and he himself may be taking advantage of her vulnerability at the moment. You've put her in an untenable situation and decision-making process that she was never designed to handle. You put the burden on her, I'm putting it back on you, Jesus is saying. The one who initiates an illegitimate divorce bears the greater guilt. You will not find that Jesus is harsh. He knows what's up. He, know, he understands. He gets it. And I want to read to you from the message again on Matthew 5.32. Here's, here's the way the message puts it. Too many of you are using this divorce as a cover for selfishness. You pretend it is righteous because it is legal. It says, no more pretending. If you divorce your wife, you're responsible for making her an adulteress unless she has done that by her sexual immorality. And if you marry such an adulteress, you're automatically yourself an adulterer. You just can't use legality to mask Moral failure. That's the message, the paraphrase of Matthew 5.32. So Jesus calls us back to God's original design. I'm going to tell you though, Jesus meets us 
whenever we fail and he calls us back to it again. There's a beautiful story in John chapter 4 where Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I have to go through Samaria. I have to. I must. And he goes, he sits at Jacob's well and the disciples all go into town to get some food and a woman comes. And this woman, he asked her for a drink. And she says, well, you're a Jew. Why would you ask me? And, and Jesus said to this Samaritan woman, you know what? If you knew who I was, you'd ask me for living water. Something that spiritually satisfies. And he said, why don't you go call your husband? Tell him, let's talk. And she says, oh, I have no husband. You know this story, right? I have no husband. And Jesus said, I know you don't have a husband. You got five husbands. <laughs> so, now what's going on there? I'll tell you what's going on. She's looking for love in all the wrong places. She's gone through five husbands trying to be happy. And Jesus said, and the man you're with now, he's, he's not your husband. You're still looking. You're still thirsty. You need to ask me for living water. Let me tell you, my dear friend, your marriage is not the source of your happiness. Jesus is the source of your happiness. And the happiness you get from Jesus is the source of your happiness you'll have in your marriage. And, Jesus, and he, she said, oh, I think you're a prophet. And Jesus said to her something he's ne he didn't say to anybody else, including his own disciples. He, she said, uh, I, I, one day Messiah will come and then it'll be great. And Jesus looked at her and he said, I who speak to you am he. The only person in the New Testament, Jesus, that I know of, where Jesus came right out and told her he's the Messiah. If you find another one, let me know because I think that's it. She's the only one. He came right out and blurted the truth. I who speak to you am he. He had people ask him, like Pilate, why don't you tell us? Well, you said it. But she, he just told her flat out, I am he. And he's conveying to her, stop pursuing happiness with these men and find it in me. I'll give you a drink of that water and you'll never thirst again. And I praise his name. Ushers, you come. Let's worship as we close this morning with our gifts. What a Savior to whom we give our gifts. What a gracious God to whom we bring our tithes. Let's pray. We can only thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have satisfied our hearts in a way that no human being can. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. We are no longer dependent on a husband or wife's ups and downs to make us happy. We're happy, Lord Jesus, in you, our source. And we bring sacrifices of praise and the sacrifices of our offerings to you today. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.